ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Okay, um, welcome to Hard in the Paint with David Grubb uh, for Thursday, August 27th, 2020. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. This is just going to be as honest as I can be, how I feel today. Uh, I'm going to answer some questions that were sent to me. Um, and I, you know, thank anybody who would like to hear my opinion on um, some of these topics that I'm going to discuss today. It has been an incredible, you know, 24 hours. Um, one of the more notable days in sports, um, of my lifetime, certainly, um, with the NBA, players boycotting their games last night and canceling them today. Uh, WNBA doing the same. Um, Some teams in Major League Baseball uh, doing the same. Players sitting out. Kenny Smith walking off set at TNT. Um, And then to hear this morning that the playoffs are back on. Not even a, a a whole day. Not even a whole day to discuss what was going on. And it became very interesting to me as I watched Twitter give me the closest blow-by-blow account that they could of what was happening. And you hear the conversation of you know, the owners and the union, and I understand it's their job as the union. I understand exactly their job. But making sure they remind economically what the players have to lose. Making sure that they tell you that they're committed But here's what you can lose if you don't continue with our playoffs. Look, the NBA wants, you know, there are reports that said the NBA owners were asking, and I think it was Chris Mannix, forgive me if I'm wrong, but he tweeted that the owners were saying, well, what more can we do? We've committed $300 million over the next 10 years. $300 million over the next 10 years. So an average of $30 million per year, right? An average, and then you divide that further, $1 million per team. In a league that is worth billions, with owners who are all worth billions, franchises that are worth billions, Owners are giving a pittance 
to support economic goals and initiatives in black communities. What more can they do, they say? And I think I was really clear on this several weeks ago, months ago, but it feels like we have to keep reiterating this. And I hope I'm not only speaking to people who are nodding their heads in agreement. I hope that this gets to people who who don't understand the depth of what we're talking about when we talk about systemic racism. Systemic. I'm not talking about feelings racism. I'm not talking about overt niggas stay out of here racism. I'm talking about systemic racism. The stuff that you are born into in this country from the moment you are identified at the hospital. From the moment they put black on my card in the hospital, my experience. And same with you, if you're white, the same with you, if you're Asian, the moment they put that on that card, your life has changed forever, forever. Because now you're in a group and the game begins. And I read something today and somebody had a great analogy to explain systemic racism. And essentially it was, let's say you were playing a game and that's a game in where by the rules you get, every time it's your turn, you get two rolls of dice and you get to pass go and get $200. Every time I roll a dice, Sometimes it tells me to give my dice to you. Sometimes it tells me I can take a step forward. Sometimes it tells me I can take a step backwards. The cards are more likely for me to pull a get out of jail free, a get out of, I mean, a, a go directly to jail, do not pass go card. You know, I'm gonna stay in, most, most likely I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be on the purple and the gray properties. I'm gonna be a, a, a Baltic and Mediterranean and Oriental Avenue. That's where I'll be more likely in this country. And even if you and I both start on Baltic and Mediterranean, because of your dice, you're gonna keep going far. And eventually, because that's the rules, you're just gonna accept the rules. No matter how unfair the rules are, you just accept those are the rules. And what's happening to me is just that's, that's how the game is played. So you don't see how it's affecting me any differently because everything that happens to me is just part of the game. This is what happens. You rolled the dice and this is what you came up with. It just, mine just happens to keep sending me to go and I keep collecting $200. I've worked very hard to get my pass directly to go. Doesn't mean that you as a white person have it easy. It just, it means is that I have it harder for the simple notion that I'm black. And part of that, and people say, why? And you listen to Doc Rivers, and man, 
you know, every time you watch Doc Rivers and you see the quiver in his lip and you see the tears in his eyes and you see the, the reflection of him saying, I just want to be a basketball coach. He says, why, you know, why doesn't America, you know, love me and us when we have loved this country more than we ever had the, the reason to? We have given America unconditional love and have not received it in return. And it's not really hard to understand why, though the answer is not about us as black people. It's about them. And, you know, James Baldwin, when he talked about the nigger, he said, I didn't create the nigger. You created the nigger. And for the nigger to exist, you must need him to exist. So what does that fulfill in you? What is that safe about you and your fears? And what goes on inside you so that you have to create this thing? And that's what I feel is that, yeah, we're the embodiment of America's shame. We are literally their bastard children. The product of breeding with those that they said were animals. So you said that you, you, you know, these people that you brought here, that you were able to throw overboard on ships if you ran out of food. Throw them overboard, chained to each other, stacked like planks of wood in the bottom of a ship. Then you brought them here and you said that they were no different than beasts of burden. And yet you laid with them and you let them wet nurse your children. You welcomed them into your home to clean and to cook your food. All impressive tricks for, for supposed animals. And that's just shame. Those are the, your sons and daughters. The product of rape and murder and theft. And that's who we are. And they see that. It's no different than the guilt of somebody else who hasn't lived up to their responsibilities. The children that have done everything to seek out the love of that parent, the parent that never wanted them, the parent that has no place for them, that doesn't want to, you know, the metaphorical support, either emotionally or financially, that it requires to create a healthy child. We are that child. And when they see it, they feel that guilt. And for some, it becomes anger. That guilt turns into fear and anger. And no matter what we do, they can justify the violence and the mistreatment of our people. And then for others, it turns into a more passive type of guilt. Where as long as they don't do anything outwardly racist, as long as they don't dislike black people, 
then they're not part of the problem. And then you have the active allies. And these folks are saying that they want to be allies. And when they say, can you do more? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always more. Because there's more you can do until the problem is solved. Right? Until the problem is solved, there's more you to be done. So you say, well, what more can I do? You have power. You say, that's what this is about. The player's power was in not playing. And they gave that up without, from what we've seen so far, any firm commitment to do something. The owner's power is political. The owner's power is financial, and it's more than a million dollars per team per year. Rather than investing in businesses, change your policies. Make sure that there's minority ownership. Make sure that you have representation in your offices. Make sure that you have real pathways for people to get into front office and coaching and management positions. Stop treating the players as economic adversaries. Open the books. Let it be true revenue sharing. Let it be a partnership. Because that's you, you can't say you're on the side and an ally if you're if there's a limit to how far you're willing to go. If there's a point in which you say, I've helped enough, when I think that, and I tweeted this and I said, we've anted up already. We've paid our price and change is gonna hurt. If it doesn't hurt, it's not change. If it doesn't hurt, you're just moving things around. Right? No pain, no gain, right? That's what we say. No pain, no gain. No progress without struggle. Okay, well, we've been doing the struggling. Now it's time for allies to share in that. And so the NBA, for example, among these other leagues that make this revenue, and even if you don't have a substantial amount of black players in your league, if we're saying that these are American problems, and if you're saying you stand with us, again, then help attack these issues within your leagues, and then, hey, let's see what kind of power you're willing to throw behind fixing these issues. Because if they're not political, and I don't believe that these are political issues, these are human rights issues. So if they are human rights issues, then, how much is my humanity worth to you? How much is the humanity of an entire people worth to you? If you could make this right, if you could help make this right and you'd still be extremely wealthy, why wouldn't you? Unless you don't really want to. 
So then the question, you know, gets to be, why did they do this? What does it gain? And then we miss, we have that question on one side. Why? If you were only going to do it for a day, what did you gain? And that's a valid question. And on the other side, you have the distractions. And even in that in analyzing what did they gain by stopping and starting up so quickly, that's really a distraction question too. And that actually leads to one of the questions that I received. So I'm going to go ahead and answer that one specifically. Um, and I want to uh, just make sure that I state it correctly. So this is from actually from my man DJ Dow, who did my opening theme and has been an incredible supporter of me for, on the radio, on um, as a writer, as um, and now with the podcast, and my man is doing it over in Israel, and he's he rocks with with us, and he rocks with the show hard, and I appreciate that. And um, you know, so this is his question: Is it just me, or at the end of the day, all of this debate about NBA teams boycotting games, are they privileged protesters or not? What should they do, etc.? Just takes many people off the real topic, which is the tragedy of American democracy being exposed. And I would say, absolutely. All of these questions are distractions meant to take the focus over away from what are the actionable items to fix, if that's the word we want to use, fix this broken system. If that's again, if that's the metaphor you want to use, because again, you could very easily argue that this is a system working exactly as designed and I wouldn't disagree with you. I probably would be more likely to agree with you. And when you say that. But let's presume it's broken. Yes. The change. Is more than people want to bear. So you create these reasons to, again, otherize people to talk about anything other than the problem, to always focus on an incident, a single incident, a single person, a single action, a single officer, a single victim. And then you can separate that make it disappear until the next victim. And then we go through this whole process again. So, you know, there'll be, there'll be the folks who, who talk about how this is a terrible person. But again, this is not about this one incident. I don't care how terrible the person is. Nobody deserves to get shot seven times in the back. Nobody. That's not asking for special privileges or special treatment to say, don't shoot people seven times in the back. When you know that's, that you can handle that situation better than that. And there has to be repercussions. If you don't agree with that, if you think American citizens can get mowed down in this country, or that an officer has the right to shoot first and ask questions later, 
that 99% of the officers who shoot a civilian who is not, you know, for no other reason than resisting arrest, or that, or whatever, even, you know, like Brianna, if no other reason than just existing, and you get killed, most of these officers never, ever get arrested, never go to trial. And if they do go to trial, they don't get convicted. So you make it about one, we lose, another one happens, and we're still not fixing the problem. So we get caught up in semantic discussions about the term to fund the police because no one wants to bother to listen about what that actually means. So we get caught up in terms. We get caught up in people's backgrounds. We get caught up in conversations about fear. And if this person is that, why should they have that job? But see, you know, we have the conversation is uh, the Democratic Party versus the Republican. Which one is more, you know, we have this performance art of how Donald Trump is so great for black people and how he, and he brings out his magic black people to talk about how their lives have been changed by Donald Trump. And Democrats are no different in the regard that they'll send out enough black people to make us say, yeah, yeah. But again, I say, where are the allies in the, in the trenches? When is it, when it's time to bleed? When it's time to take the bullets? We're still the 54th Regiment going the first ones up that hill. So, we have the distractions. We have the distractions. And it's a safe tactic because it does work. And in this moment, sports is being used as a distraction too. Sports is being used. There's a reason that they're pushing so hard to have these games go on. And the reason that I didn't want them to go on was precisely this. That we would start moving past this conversation. Because it's become now it's become all about voting in November. As if we can continue to hang on through the last few days of this month, September, October, November, December, January, if there's a change in presidency, whatever, as if that matters in the grand scheme of things, because we've had different presidents, we've had different leaders on all sides, and we're still having these same discussions. But immediately it goes back to voting. Immediately. But it doesn't work that way for everybody else. For us, it's always about the voting. Well, we live in a country where voting suppression is real. We live in a country where gerrymandering is real. We live in a country where my vote for president hasn't mattered in my lifetime. Because I live in Louisiana. So, since the popular vote doesn't count, and only the electoral, electoral college matters, 
my vote hasn't counted for president. So it doesn't matter. I go out and vote. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, it matters locally, and I encourage people to vote locally. But you want me to help vote out Trump in November, and my vote doesn't count. It doesn't count. So are we going to fix that? Owners can get behind that. Citizens can get behind that. That doesn't cost money to give people a fair voice. Why can't we do that? I know I'm rambling, and if you've made it this far, I appreciate it. Um, because I wanted to kind of do this this way. I wanted it to be a reflection of how I'm doing this, how I'm coping with this, all of this. And my colleague and friend, Valencia King, she said, I'm sure you talked about this before, but if you could speak on how you're decompressing and processing at the moment, how you found your methods, ways, how I found them, my ways to decompress and process and the importance of having a group of people you can digest worldly and heavy topics with. You know, this is part of my process. You know, I, 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 I can't lie and say I haven't shed tears. Um, that I have been depressed, that I've been angry, that I haven't wanted to scream. But I have to do what I can do. I can't yell at Michael Jordan because the story comes out that he's he was the big voice behind making helping the players see that playing was the best option. I can't yell at Michael Jordan, even if I'm upset with him in that regard. Because again, that's a distraction. I can't cry. I can't, not today. You let it out when you have to. You have to, so, you know. But you can't, I can't stay there. Because then there's time that's wasted. And the urgency of this moment requires us not to waste that time. It is incredibly important to have people who will listen in these moments. To have people who both understand intimately how you feel because they experience the same thing. But I just as much value the relationships that I have with my white friends who we have argued about some points, we have disagreed about some points. And then there are times that they just listen. And I thought that we would have the opportunity to make this pause into something when the initial pause happened and the players were debating it and Kyrie Irving was saying, I'm not sure 
I thought we could take that pause to focus the messaging. And I thought that the players would take this pause to focus and unite the messaging amongst NBA players, NFL players, MLB players, college athletes, soccer players, whatever. And use this thing that America keeps saying they want in order to have their normalcy back. You can't be an agent of helping it get back to normal when normal is not. You say you don't want that. When you say you want change, you can't be an agent of creating that normalcy. So I wish the players had again taken this pause to unify. And it's not just the black players. It's because the onus isn't supposed to be on them. It shouldn't even, the onus really shouldn't be on these athletes at all. It's unfair. It's unfair that they're in this position. And it's unfair to them that I feel upset about them not holding on to this longer. Because I can only imagine the conflict for a lot of these men and for a lot of these women in the WNBA who, again, I don't ever want to forget what they do on a day-to-day basis to really bring attention and to be as honest and as blunt as they can be in their actions and in their words. So, I can't, but I don't want this opportunity to get lost completely. I think there's still time because I do believe that there, that, you know, the rush, the continued work, I mean, you see them utilizing the leverage of money to make us get back to normal. And that pressure is immense. That's why they use it. That's why they use it is because they know how strong it is. And if we get to the point that we're telling people that money means that you ain't supposed to care, money means that your job is more important than your humanity, that you are defined by the work you do and the manner in which you provide it. Then again, they're telling you that this, this change is not what they're interested in. They're not really on your side. Because the same people who say they're concerned about you will change the rules every time you try to reframe the discussion to talk about black empowerment. Bomani Jones writes an article today about how the perception of student athlete power in the NCAA is what makes the whole thing show you how little power that they actually have. He talks about the narratives that are generated through sports that we always justify anything 
on the one hand, we can have the pride in, in sports because sports look at look at Brand Tricky and Jackie Robson came together to break the racial barrier. And that's a, that's sports, that's that's how the power of sports politically they're used for good. And then how is Jackie Robinson treated the rest of his life? Muhammad Ali was a villain until they decided he was a hero. They get to co-opt him. Just like they co-opted kneeling. Just like they co-opted this whole thing to neuter it. They're using these distractions to get us away from fighting for what we need to happen to make this a better country. And it infuriates me to no end. It infuriates me to no end. And I think at some point, if you're a player in any one of these leagues and you keep saying that your ownership, that your league does not have your best interest at heart, then at one point do you start figuring out that maybe this vehicle is not the only vehicle that's going to get you to where you want to go? Is your goal to be an NBA basketball player or is it to be a professional basketball player? Is your goal to be an NFL player or is it to be a professional football player? And so on and so forth. Because if those are goals, and if you say we want economic empowerment, and if you say that if, if the public wants to say again that these are entitled spoiled millionaires, man, take your money, take your talent, take your acumen and your intellect and create something for yourself where you own it where you have a stake in it like there's a reason that the NFL does not allow a second Green Bay Packers franchise that they have rules against it of a city owning a team there's a reason they won't allow that to happen again it's the same reason that they don't want players to know exactly how much revenue that they have. It's the same reason that all these leagues are not going to treat you as a partner, ever. On the one hand, they'll tell you they need you because you're stars and you drive the ratings and they must have you. And on the other hand, you are completely replaceable. From college on, you need to be grateful or you are, re- or you are replaceable. Except when you're on the field or on the court. In those moments, you're a star. But the moment you forget your position, you're replaceable. You're not a unique talent. You're replaceable. Who's more replaceable? Who's more replaceable? That small group of owners? Or you, the talent? Because if it's just the owners and they go find people to play these games... Nobody's tuning in. 
You want to see the best of the best. That's what fans want to see. They want to see the best of the best. So if the best and the best take their balls and go home, then what? Then that's why you ask racism. But nobody said, see, if, you, if that's what you thought, if the first thing was that's racism for the black players to leave and do that. Who said there were no white players could come? Who said there can't be white business interests involved? All I'm saying is, if you're a player, you should want to own it. You should want to own part of it. Because that's how you guarantee power. You own some of this. That's still a way to make money. That's still a way for players to get rich. That's still a way for owners to make money. And it's probably better for fans, actually. But that's not what any of this is really about. It's not about the quality of the game. It's not about spoiled. It's not about any of that. It's about knowing your place. It's about knowing your place. So every solution that you offer, somebody's going to tell you, no, that doesn't work. Just like when you talk reparations, they say that doesn't, that's not going to work. When you talk about defunding, that won't work. Let's talk about economic, that won't work. Let's talk about changing the way we, no, we're not going to do that. But we'll take down a couple statues for you. We'll do that. We'll rename some buildings for you. Now, those are important. Those symbols need to be taken down. But if you think that's enough, it's not enough. That's only, you know, you're just removing the hubcaps on this car. We've got a lot of work to do to strip this thing clean. So we ain't stopping there. There's no appeasement on this one. At least I hope not. I don't want us to go back to being quiet. I don't want us to go back to accepting the fact that you have an entire group of people that this country puts obstacles in front of on purpose. On purpose. Man, nobody's asking for a trouble-free life. Nobody's asking for a problem-free life. Nobody's asking for equal outcomes. You're asking for equitable opportunities. You're asking for equitable beginnings. Equitable treatment. None of that's revolutionary. None of that. None of that. Now, one of those things is revolutionary. To say, I want a, an equitable chance at a decent life in this country. And I don't, there's nobody asking for a promise to be wealthy. There's nobody asking for a promise of success. But you ensure that people fail when you make sure that they aren't educated, that they aren't healthy, that they live in the worst neighborhoods, that they have the least access to education, that they have the least access to jobs, that the jobs that they do have access to are not going to pay the bills that they have to pay, are not going to be enough to provide for child care. You tell them, keep lifting yourself up by bootstraps and you ain't got no boots on. And that's not mine and I don't care, but it's an apt metaphor. So, you know, Forget the whataboutism, forget the comparisons, forget the thing. The main thing is to focus on the main thing.
And if people ask you for information, tell them to read books like The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Tell them to read $40 million slaves. Tell them to read Full Dissidents. Tell them to read, you know, Stokely Carmichael. Tell them to read James Baldwin. Tell them to listen to you. Tell them to listen to your experiences. Tell them to stop pointing out the exceptions and making those the rules. We don't use lottery winners and say, this is how you get to be successful in America. You don't take the one in a million shot and say that's the, the standard. But it's too painful. It's too painful to look at the, the mirror. It's like the portrait of Dorian Gray. It's like the portrait of Dorian Gray. This beautiful, shiny thing from the outside. The wealthiest nation on earth. And in the attic, you see its soul aging, getting uglier and more horrific. It doesn't end well. That story does not end well. There's no redemption. My man, Chris Dodson, this was his question, a tough one. Do you think any extreme overreactions will have an adverse effect on making real progress? It's a real fear of mine that those making calculated moves for change are being threatened by those acting out through misguided direction and agents of chaos with no purpose. There's always going to be people who in the movement for progress of any type go too far. But I say this to people all the time. If there's something that can make you not support the things that we're talking about, if there's something that I can do, that any individual could do to make you say, these issues don't matter to me anymore, or I'm not on their side anymore, then it says something about you, not 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 the the actions of the other people. Cause we don't we always say all the time, you don't do things, we don't do the right thing because people earn it. You don't give you don't give respect to a human life because people earn it. You give because it, they they exist. So because they make, they're this group of people, this, however small it is, or however large you may think it, think it is, if that makes you turn away, if that makes you say, I'm not part of the progress anymore, I'm not gonna hear you out anymore, then you would never end. Then you would never end. Because if you're in, then you wouldn't be deterred by those things you'd be focused on the goal. We go to work every day and there's somebody in your office who's acting a fool at your job, who comes to work, doesn't do stuff. 
you know, they basically, no matter what job it is, no matter what job, whether you work in an office, whether you work in a fast food restaurant, you're a waiter, whether you work in government, wherever you are, there's somebody in the office who ain't doing what they're supposed to do. Does that change the fact that you got to do your job? It change the fact you got to do, you know, what you know is right? No. So you do it. That person can't dissuade you from that. Now, you might get discouraged at your job eventually and want to leave that place. But you're not discouraged about your work ethic and your movement to whatever your goals are in your life. So... I think people need to be focused on the overall goal, not to make it about anyone. Like I said, not one incident, not one person, not one day, not one thing. It's the overall goal. The criminal justice system, the educational system, the economic system, the political system. The basic fairness of it all. So how could you be dissuaded from basic fairness? How could you be dissuaded from justice? How could somebody make you turn away from doing the right thing? How could somebody else's actions say, I will not do the right thing because I'm upset about what that person did? And if that's why you make that choice, fuck off anyway. Fuck off. Um, this was from Cheddar Chaz. Do you think the indecision of the players' protest playing leads to overall feeling of insincerity amongst our community? It's a huge ask for the players, but it seems like the failure to commit makes us um, brothers look weak as a collective. I don't know if I answered that earlier clearly enough or directly. I'm not sure. Because like I said, this has been not the most linear conversation or discussion or I guess monologue. I'm sorry. But, yeah, that's what I said. You know, it did make me question it. I, I, I think if you're going to go to take that step and say, this is a boycott, we're not playing, then I think you need more than a night to discuss it. I think you need more than a few hours with the people who it is in their best interest for you to play. Yeah, I wonder about the sincerity. I wonder about the conversation. They have the right to have their private conversation. You know, no, don't get me wrong. But you just wonder why it goes from the two most high profile teams potentially in this whole thing with the Lakers and the Clippers saying that they were voting against resuming this at all. So in a matter of hours, everybody's saying we're going to play again. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But at the very least, I hope the rest of us from the outside can say. We have to keep the pressure on. If they're going to do it in a different way, that's their choice. We can't make them. And like I said, it's a, it's a horrible position to be in. But if it re invigorates us to say we have to do what they can't do however you may feel if it's can't or won't or don't or shouldn't have to however you want to preface it if it reinvigorates us to do it then let's do it 
um, this is so much bigger than sports. Let me just tell you personally, you know, emotionally, this has been extremely difficult for me. I've always been honest with my audience. I, I live with bipolar disorder. It is very difficult for me to socialize at times. Sports is my lifeline and my connection to a lot of my friends. Uh, certainly, it's my business. It is the thing that I, um, you know, trying to turn my passion for it into my profession to be able to take care of my wife and my child and have something that lasts a lifetime doing what you love. But this time, all of this has been hard emotionally and part of the constant therapy of it was you know is getting to do this every day to have conversations with people I respect and talk to them about the things that I you know I'm passionate about in sports and also in life and right now it's the hardest it's ever been to do it right now it's it's the hardest it's ever been to do it and it it sometimes it feels wrong to do it sometimes it feels wrong to be talking about games in this time sometimes it feels like i should be talking about something else But I won't, I won't, because I still understand why my voice goes through this realm, how to use this platform the way I can in the best way I know how. And so today, this is how I choose to use it. And if you got to this point, I truly appreciate you listening. And I hope this, I hope it's understood what I said over the last like hour, I guess. I hope it's understood better than I may have stated it. I hope you get the message even if it's not written perfectly, delivered with precision, as I would typically try to do. It should be hard for all of us right now. You have to find joy. You have to find enough moments every day to find some sense of peace. But at the same time, this should be difficult for all of us because if we let it stop being difficult we will accept it again and i can't 
do that. I just don't have it in me. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I don't want to see any of these young men and women exploited because they have a talent that they have worked at and refined and and I don't want to see them get used by those who just don't care about them any more than their usefulness in creating revenue and if you look at it it really isn't that different from the way we've been viewed from the first time we stepped foot on this continent. What is our value relative to how much revenue we generate? Not in what we bring to society. You just think about the thousands and thousands. Think about the real cost. You know, you you can you can put missed games and stuff in a perspective. You can find out how much that costs you. How much do these deaths cost? How much does pain cost? How much does oppression cost? How much does dignity cost? How much does justice cost? How much does freedom cost? How much? Because we would like to know. Black folks would love to know. Because I'm pretty sure we're due a refund. I'm pretty sure about that. I would be willing to go out on that limb and say, we got a refund coming. We've overpaid. We've overpaid. I don't want anything that's not mine. I don't want anything I can't earn. But I want everything I'm owed. And I'm owed justice. I'm owed education. I'm owed health. And I hope, I hope y'all, I hope y'all stay safe. I hope you stay strong. I hope you understand. And I hope you keep fighting. And I'm going to try to do the same. Tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow. I'll talk about whatever comes to my mind tomorrow. But today, I have some shit I have to get off my chest. And I appreciate y'all taking your time to listen. This has been Hard to Paint with David Grubb.